Morning, everybody. Not now, that's better. All right. We're reading from Jonah this morning. Jonah chapter 1. And I think the words should come up somewhere. Oh, look, they have already. Look at that. Here we go. Jonah runs from the Lord. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted out to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why is this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse, all the time they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, that we are free to read it, free to understand it. And we can meet together now to listen to your word being preached. And I pray for your spirit to be present in this time that you would anoint Lou, that you would anoint her words and speak through her this morning, and that you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive from you this morning. 
that all you have to say will not float away here in the wind, but will make a difference to our hearts and our lives. Ask this for your glory, Lord. Amen. Thank you. So, we're starting a new series this morning. Woo, yeah, I know, it's exciting, isn't it? On Jonah, you'd not have known, would you? Yeah. But as we start this new series this morning, I've got a clip that I'd like you to watch, so hopefully the sound will come up on it. All right? Not a very long clip, just a little clip, just to sort of get you thinking and doing a bit of counting. Here we go. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. Clever, isn't it? How many of you actually saw the gorilla? How many didn't see the gorilla? It's amazing, isn't it? And then when you show it, it's really clear that there is a gorilla that walks on and does that in the middle, and you just miss it completely because you're looking at something else. Yeah, quite clever, that, isn't it? So what's it got to do with Jonah, though, obviously, is the question, isn't it? I mean, it's a good thing to look at anyway, really, isn't it? Well, I think it is. What has it got to do with the story of Jonah? Well, um, maybe I want to ask you, are there gorillas in the story of Jonah? Now, of course, you're all going to go, of course there isn't. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, a real physical one. But are there gorillas in the story of Jonah? Are there things that we completely miss because we're looking at other things? Or maybe we miss them because we've resigned this story to the Sunday school class, you know? Because if you've been like me and you've been knocking around in church for a while, you'll know that if you were brought up in Sunday school, Jonah and the whale... Is a story that you had in Sunday school. You'd have known it for a really long time, this story. And, and it's a good thing to have, really, as a story in, in Sunday school, I think. It's a story that kids love, absolutely love. Because in all honesty, it has everything in it that kids love. There's action, there's adventure, there's rebellion, there's storms, there's near-death experiences, there's being swallowed by a huge sea creature, and then the icing on the cake is that it has sick in it as well. <laughs> because this big fish pukes Jonah up on a beach. Oh, that's a bit of a spoiler alert. That comes next week. I think it's next week. It comes in a few weeks anyway. See, it's got everything in it that kids love. And of course, I think we all think that we know the story so well for that reason alone. But I'd like to suggest to you that there are probably far more gorillas in the story of Jonah and the whale than there are whales. There are no whales 
in the story of Jonah and the whale. It isn't a whale, it is a big fish, and I'm not being pedantic about it, but there is a difference between a whale and a big fish. They are different sorts of animals, so you might as well call it Jonah and the gorilla if you're gonna persist in calling it Jonah and the whale. It is actually Jonah and the big fish. I mean, it hasn't got quite the same ring to it, but that's what it is. So what is it that we miss? What is it that is in this story that we miss or we skim over or we don't see that in reality is actually screaming at us to take a bit of notice, to pay some attention and to ask some questions of ourselves that we might be changed as a result? Well, for a start, this is the bit that Ian always remember says is the dull bit, but I always feel that as a preacher that you need to do. You need to set it in context, lest we just take it and do whatever we want with it. So if you hear any snoring, it will be him on the front row and you can have words with him at the end. What do we know about this bloke called Jonah? Well, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. And we see in 2 Kings, chapter 14, it tells us that he was from Gath-Hepha, west of the Sea of Galilee. And he's prophesying about 750 years before Jesus. And this makes him a contemporary of other people, mainly blokes who've got their books in the Bible as well. So he's a contemporary of Amos and Hosea. And when he was prophesying, it was a time when Israel was actually enjoying restored borders under the reign of King Jeroboam II. But with an end to almost a century of border disputes and unrest, Israel just starts to get a bit comfortable. She starts to maybe gloat a little bit over her triumph and her newfound power. And Israel starts to put her trust and her strength and become complacent about her favoured status with God. She puts her trust in her strength. She puts her trust in the fact that no one's going to touch us because we're God's chosen nation. Come on, this is who we are. This is kind of where they're at. And at this time, the messages via the prophets from God speak to Israel about not putting trust in anything other than God. And that, that Israel's arrogance isn't good. And although they are very special to God, they wouldn't be spared the judgment of God. And so this is the setting for the story of Jonah, which at the end of the day, whether you refer to it as the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish, the reality is this is the story of Jonah and God. This is the story of a very disobedient prophet and is God. This is the story of a sinner, somebody who does exactly the opposite to what God asked them to do and God. This is a story which at its very heart tells us a lot about the nature of God's mercy and the nature of God's grace. And it also tells us a lot about humanity's and God's response to sin and wrongdoing. And so the story starts. In the first chapter, God speaks and Jonah scarpers. God says, Jonah, I want you to do something. And Jonah says, no, I don't think so. But he doesn't stay put. He runs. Now, we could be very quick to judge Jonah here, but why might he not have wanted to go to Nineveh? Well, to cut a long story short, Nineveh was a horrible place. It was just a horrible place by all accounts. It's the capital of Assyria. It's a city that's so huge, we're told in chapter 3 of Jonah, it's a three-day journey just to cross it, which doesn't seem like a lot to us today, but they didn't have cars, did they, or high-speed trains. 
It was a big place. And also it was a symbol of every single thing that opposed God. Everything that opposed God's people. So here is a city whose downfall was prophesied in the book of Nahum, where it is described as a bloody city full of lies, full of stolen riches. A city, the news of whose downfall would be received by everyone with joy and celebration. For upon who has not come your unceasing evil? In other words, everybody would have had a party if they'd have heard that Nineveh, you know, was going down. Because everybody hated them. Because they were just horrible. That's me sort of, you know, paraphrasing that. Now, I don't think necessarily we'd have rushed to have got there. I wouldn't have rushed to have got to Nineveh myself. I mean, to try and understand how difficult it might be, we could say it would be a little bit like a Jew who had lost family in the horrors of the Holocaust being sent on a special mission to speak words of grace and hope to Germany immediately after the war. This would be an almost impossibly hard thing to even consider. So let's not be too quick to judge Jonah here, especially as both you and I know that we will all run from God over things too, won't we? Well, if, even if you think you don't, I know I do. We all will run from God over things. Let's be honest, humanity has reacted in this way from the very beginning. When God asked something of us and we said, nah, don't think so, our response has been to hide. Adam and Eve hid. They did what God said not to do. God comes walking in the garden and they're like, oh dear, we best hide. And they hide. They couldn't stand the reality of their nakedness, of what they'd done before God. And we've been doing the same ever since. And there can be no end of reasons, I think, and situations or circumstances that could beset us that might cause us to run from God. It can be because we know that we've done something we shouldn't have. It could be because we're caught up in sin and actually we're enjoying it. Have you noticed that? That when you do things sometimes that are sinful, they are enjoyable. Have you noticed that? Because that's why you want to keep doing them. Because if you did them and it was really terrible, you wouldn't want to do them, would you? You wouldn't, would you? Have you not ever thought about that? Because it's self-sacrifice sometimes. There's no point going, oh, it must be good because I really enjoy it. If God said no, it's no, whether you enjoy it or whether you don't. And we might be caught up in something. And we know we shouldn't be doing it. And we think, well, I'm quite enjoying it. But that's not the point. The point is, has God said no to it? Because if he has, it doesn't matter whether you enjoy it or not, you should stop. This can cause us to run. Basically, we stick our head in the sand. Yeah? We can't really ever see anything that's wrong with it. There's no end of reasons why it should be all right for us to carry on. Or maybe it's because we're angry with God right now. I think lots of people run from God because they're angry with him. Because things aren't working in the way that they should be. Because God seems silent. It's like he's gone on holiday and he hasn't sent a forwarding address. Or maybe it's just that we are fed up waiting, that we've prayed and we've prayed really hard and nothing seems to happen. And we want him to do something about how life is. Maybe you're on the run from God because of church. Shock horror. Church and the people in church damage other people. Do you realize that? Happens quite a lot. The number of people that I come across, and uh, after I don't normally say, oh, hello, I'm Lou and I'm a minister, because we don't have that much conversation at that point. But I have a conversation with them, and they sort of say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a church minister. And then it normally comes, oh, I used to go to church. I don't really have a problem with Jesus, but I'd never go back to a church. 
because I've been hurt by church, because people in church have hurt me. These things happen, don't they? They do. And they happen because we're all people. And just because you come to church don't mean you're perfect and you're lovely and you're kind. Because most of us come to church because we know we're not. (laughs) And we know we need God. And we know we need the love of God in our lives. Maybe we're running from God because we're unable to let go of hurt. We're unable to forgive somebody and we sense that God is asking us to forgive. But we don't want to. Because we know we've got more than one leg to stand on, thank you very much, and we're angry about it, and there's no way we are going to forgive that person for doing that thing to us because they shouldn't have done it. And God says, but you must forgive because it is my way. Maybe we run from God because of that. Lots of other stuff. Just you, Maybe you don't think you're that holy or spiritual, whatever that means. There can be so many things that we might be running from God over. So many things that we are hiding away from God because of. And of course, do you know what? When we flee from God, when we scarper from God, we head for our very own Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is really this place that offers to us everything we think we need, everything that we think that uh, we would hope for, immediate satisfaction, but a place, most importantly, where we can carry on having it the way we want without having to deal with God. That's a Tarshish place, a place where I'll get what I want, the way I want it, and I won't have to answer to God for any of it. I mean, that's the sort of place that has some appeal, I must say. At some point in our lives, we will all maybe hope that we could find a Tarshish. Tarshish, we're told in 1 Kings 10, was the place that Solomon's fleet returned from with gold and with silver, with ivory, and get this, with monkeys and peacocks. Just not the Jess and Keith sort, I don't think. Um, Tarshish was something else. Tarshish was exotic. Tarshish was all about adventure. Tarshish held the appeal of the unknown. It was a distant paradise. It offered complete escapism. But more importantly than all of those things, we must notice it was directly the opposite direction to Nineveh. Directly opposite. You see, you are either on a journey of life, walking with Jesus and moving closer and closer and nearer and nearer to God, or you are moving away and you are heading in the very wrong direction. So you, do you see, one of the gorillas in this first chapter, I think, is really one that asks us at the beginning of this new year, because it still is quite the beginning of the new year, what direction are you moving in this morning? What direction is your life going in this morning? Are you, are you like Jonah on the run from God over something? Only you will know, because if you're anything like me, you can hide it very well from everybody else. Only you and God will know. What direction are you running or are you heading in? Are you heading towards your very own Tarshish, this place that is going to offer to you so you think everything you want that's going to bring you true satisfaction? Or are you heading towards Nineveh, the place of obedience, the place that God has called you to be in and called you to be heading towards? What direction is your life moving in at the beginning of this new year? And so the story continues and Jonah goes down to Joppa to buy a ticket to Tarshish Uh, A one-way ticket, I'm sure it was, because he weren't going to want to come back from there, was he? And then the Lord sends a great storm. 
Not just a great storm, we are told, a violent storm. It was so bad that the ship was at risk of breaking up and the seasoned sailors immediately start to pray, notice, each to their own gods, just to remind us that the people who are doing all the praying in this chapter aren't actually the people of God. They're all the pagan people that we wouldn't imagine are going to pray, but they are all praying to their own gods. The storm becomes so bad that they not only pray to their gods, they start to throw cargo overboard. It's all hands-to-deck stuff, really. But where's Jonah in all of this? Where is Jonah in all of this frenzy and panic? Oh, he's, he's, he's down. He's down below deck. He's fleeing from God. Notice he went down to Joppa. And his journey away from God seems to be taking him down again and down again. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down onto the boat. He goes down into the, the berth of the boat. And interestingly, when the captain finds him, he doesn't say, why are you not helping us? He says, why are you not praying to your God? Because at least if your God takes notice of our prayers, we might not all perish. And eventually they all realize Jonah's the reason for the storm. They question him. They say, where do you come from? What the heck have you done? I mean, it must be something really big. Because look at this storm. It's not just a great storm. It's a violent one. In their thinking, you see, this storm is punishment. They are displaying the pagan understanding that in life you live to keep the gods happy. You keep the gods happy because then the gods are good to you. If you displease the gods, then they're going to punish you and calamity will fall upon you. We're told the sailors become terrified when Jonah spoke about being a worshipper of the highest divinity, the God of heaven who made sea and the land, and they knew that Jonah was on the run from God because he'd already told them this. The picture is painted here of an angry God, displeased with the disobedience of his servant who sends a violent storm, an angry God. He's out to get Jonah one way or the other. And so the question blatantly, openly, that, that, um, that they ask is, is basically, or that we should ask, they ask, what, what do we need to do to make this storm calm down? What do we have to do to you to make this storm calm down? It makes sense. Jonah's the one who's disobeyed. God's really angry. We've got to do something to him. Then God will be happy. And then the storm will stop. You can understand all of their thinking. And Jonah gets thrown overboard. Can you imagine for a moment the fear that must have beset him as he's thrown overboard into an angry and violent sea? Can you imagine for a moment the sheer, utter terror of being swallowed by a monstrously gigantic fish? And finding yourself enclosed in the claustrophobic stomach of the monster with the stench of all its gastric juices and other rotting, undesirable things that would have been in there. Can you imagine for a moment the horror and the terror of it? But then he deserves it, doesn't he? Because he hadn't done what God had asked of him. And in the beginning, none of this would have, you know, if he'd have done what God had asked of him in the beginning, none of this would have happened, would it? He deserves it. This is his justly deserved punishment. I wonder what you think. Is this how you see and read and interpret this story of Jonah? Is this storm and this monster mackerel angry God's punishment? You see, how we answer that, I think, says an awful lot about our perception of God. Do you see God in this way? Do you see God ready to punish us the minute we step out of line? Are you on the run from him this morning because you see him that way? You don't want to get too close because you know you deserve a good clobbering. It's a bit like how our dog, Bill, used to be. Before he did actually go deaf, he was selectively deaf for many years. 
bit like Ian, really. He's not gone deaf yet, but he does show signs of selective hearing. Um, yeah, see? So, uh, but you know, I'd, we'd go out with, I'd go out with a dog, and he'd find usually fox poo, because he had a real penchant for fox poo. Can I eat it and roll in it? Or is there enough just to eat? Is there enough just to roll in? I don't know. I could see that all going through his mind. And I'm standing there going, Bill, come on, Bill, come on. And he's like, can't hear that. I can smell the poo. Can't hear that. I can smell the poo. And when he eventually does come, making out he's obedient, he doesn't really come because he knows if he gets too close, I'm going to give him a gentle, before you call the RSPCA, kick up the back end because he has done what he knows he shouldn't do. And he doesn't come too close to me because he knows he's done what he shouldn't do. And he knows when he does get within arm's reach, I'm going to give him a little bit of a clobber. And we laugh about it because you can see it happening. My question is, if you see God in this way, I can understand why you don't want to draw close and you might be running away. Because if you get too close, you might get a bit of a divine clobbering. I don't know. Is that how you see God? I'd like to suggest to you this morning, this is not a Christian understanding of God. This is a pagan understanding this is the understanding of God that we have been saved from in Jesus Christ because in him and through him we realize and we know and we can experience grace and mercy and unconditional love beyond our wildest hopes, beyond our wildest dreams, beyond our widest, wildest expectations because in Jesus we see God reaching out to us. We see God coming to us not to clobber us but to love us and to lavish grace upon us, and to enable us to experience mercy. In Jesus, God runs out to meet each one of us and lays everything he has before us. He gives up his life for each one of us, even though we are still sinners. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that another of the gorillas in this first chapter of Jonah is one that calls for us to look again and to realize that because of the immensity of love that God had for Jonah, because of his desire that Jonah should know and experience his very best, and that all of that could never ever be found and experienced in Tarshish, he sent a storm. He sent a violent storm. He sent a monster fish, but never to kill Jonah, never to get him, never to harm him, never to punish him, but to save him. To save him from what he wanted that was never going to be sufficient. Because it wouldn't last, because it wasn't God's best, because it wasn't anywhere near what he needed. This morning, if you know you are running from God if you know you are hiding from God for whatever reason, then please, if you only hear one thing, make it this. Stop running. Stop running. Stop hiding. It is impossible to flee from God forever. It is impossible to hide from God forever. It is impossible to escape God's love. It is impossible to escape his grace and his mercy. He alone is the one who has pursued you with his love from the very beginning of all time, and he will continue to do so.
Not to clobber you, not to punish you, not to be angry with you, but because he longs, just like the father in that parable of the prodigal son, to embrace you and to welcome you home. The story of Jonah and the whale, like we like to call it, has not got a whale in it. But this morning, maybe, we've spotted a couple of gorillas. And we've been caused to ask ourselves, what direction am I traveling in at the beginning of this new year? Are you heading towards Nineveh, the place of obedience, walking with Jesus, keeping in step with the Spirit? Or on you, are you on the scarper to Tarshish? And I think it also causes us to ask, how do I see God responding to my wrong and my sin? What kind of God is it that I believe in? Do I see God responding with grace and mercy or do I see him coming out to get me angry and ready to punish me? Because I'd like to suggest if it's the latter, it's not a Christian understanding of God. It's not the understanding of God. It is not the God we see in Jesus Christ who was sent into this world not to judge the world or condemn it, to bring it life, life in all its fullness. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this story of a very disobedient prophet. We thank you for Jonah, Lord. We all know that we can identify him. We'd rather have things the way we want it, how we want it. We'd rather at times not have to deal with you because your ways are higher than ours and they seem so much harder and it seems so much more difficult to have to love everyone, to have to forgive people that we don't like who've hurt us. It seems so difficult sometimes uh, to, to, to keep in step with your spirit and to do the things you ask us to do when, when it seems to not be a good idea. At the beginning of this new year, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help to lead us in your way, that you would help us just to pause, that we might identify the places where maybe we are really sticking our heads in the sand to identify those places where maybe we think we've probably heard you say something, but we don't like the sound of it, so we're going to pretend we haven't really heard. We're going to ask, Lord, that you might in some ways reset the compass of our hearts and minds, that we might have you really as true north, if you like, that we might walk your way, that we might be those who are able to continue to follow you into the things you have for us which will always be the best the good the true the just so come do what you have to do with us and in us we pray for the glory of your name amen